In this episode of the Talking, Teaching, and Flow podcast, Rafan is joined by Natasha de Grunwald, who is a pioneer of Thai massage, a teacher, author, and natural health practitioner for over 30 years. She is a member of the Association of Therapy Lecturers and teaches accredited professional training programs in the UK, online, and around the world. In 1990, she introduced Thai massage to the UK and is now the founder of a world-renowned professional training school, London Institute of Thai Yoga Massage. She offers students the opportunity to learn a traditional therapeutic lineage of Thai bodywork under the umbrella of Thai medicine. She has a commitment to raising the standards and putting Thai bodywork on the map as a reputable physical therapy and teaches the UK's only 300-hour program. She is the founder of the Sacred Health Method, a revolutionary training for advanced therapists. For the past three decades, Natasha has traveled from New York to New Zealand and from Serbia and Thailand to learn from healers, teachers, shamans, and anatomists. Her pursuit for knowledge has led her to the Burmese borders to research pregnancy and postpartum care with village midwives and into a cadaver lab many times. Her first book entitled Thai Massage Dissected is due for release in December 2020. Having had a busy private practice since 1990 and having worked at Great Ormond Street Hospital at the very beginning of her career, throwing herself in at the deep end, massaging women whose young children were dying from AIDS, Natasha has always been a practitioner with great insight and a passion to transform lives through touch. Natasha, thank you so much for being here today. Um, so nice to see you and being able to talk with you, finally. So nice to see you. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Well, I've been interested in Thai massage for many, many years. And I actually remember coming to you because we've, we've met, I, I want to say, 10, 11, 12 years ago. And I it was, is. back in the day, already looking at your training course to become a Thai massage practitioner. And life being life and me being me, it's never happened. Now that I have this podcast where I talk to teachers and trainers, you popped up into my mind in terms of wanting to talk about Thai massage, how practitioners are actually trained, and also to find out how you're doing because we used to be neighbors living in Twickenham and you now live in Brighton. So thank you again for being here. You're welcome. It's really lovely to be invited. Thank you. So, yeah, I remember it was a long time ago that we met and we talked about Thai massage and it's amazing how lives just sort of go off in different directions and then weirdly come back together again, which is really, it's really nice to be back in contact. So Yeah, I agree. You've been involved within this industry for close to 30 years, right? Or perhaps a little more than 30 years. What did you start with? Well, I trained initially in aromatherapy back in the 80s when that was kind of really just sort of coming into the um, into people's kind of awareness. And um, I very quickly realized that rubbing a bit of oil on someone wasn't really didn't really feel like it had the depth that I was looking for. I, mm -hmm. I suppose I felt like. I had some healing to do as well and I knew that someone rubbing some oil around on me would maybe relax me but it wasn't going to take me to the level of healing that I was looking for in my own self or that I could potentially help other people with so I started exploring what was out there and I don't really know how I heard about Thai massage because back then there was really no one in the UK doing it but I did hear that they had this traditional practice in Thailand and so I started looking into going there to travel you know this was in 1990 I think it was and um, so I went I ended up going to Thailand with a friend and kind of got really into having loads of massage and realized how incredibly healing it was. And, and that for me was, uh, it was an absolute no brainer, but that was the thing that I was going to train in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Did you find any connection whatsoever with what you had actually studied before? Was there any um, parallels? No, not really. What I found, because we travelled all over Thailand and I was looking for a place that I wanted to train and I ended up training in the grounds of this temple which at the time was, it was quite unusual, but actually now it, it's definitely a real tourist place to, to do your training. But I had some incredible massage there and it seemed to wake me up to my own body in a way that nothing I'd ever experienced had before. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I grew up with my mum being a reflexologist and a counsellor. So I kind of grew up in the in a, in a kind of quite a therapeutic kind of open, you know, my mum was quite, a, you know, an early adapter or something to these kind of ways, I suppose. Mm. So it was, um, it was always in my kind of psyche, but never really had experienced anything like what I had when I went and started having regular treatments in Thailand. Uh, but it's nothing really like what I do in practice or as a teacher now, you know, Again, it's over 30 years, of course, I've learned so much. So For that sure. has changed, yeah. How, mm. how different is the, the training that you received to the one that you are now providing others? So different, I would say, because the, the, the treatments that I was receiving in Thailand and that are really common world over, actually, are they're, they're pretty much like a sequence and mm. they, they vary a little bit, but they do the same things. They're generally like pressing, maybe a bit of thumbing and a little bit of stretching or a lot of stretching. And that is, that's kind of doing the same thing for everyone. It's not really tailoring a treatment around any kind of theory or the actual medicine or a toolkit that you might have that, you know, you can pick and choose things to make it really right for the individual. So that's kind of what you see in Thai massage all around the world is mm. that people do this very, they do it, they do it some, some sort of sequence. And to me, that was always what I thought Thai massage was until I started researching and studying and trying to find that there always seemed to me to be a missing link. And luckily my research took me to a place where I could learn about Thai medicine and and so that actually makes the treatment incredibly different it's just so it's so different to what I initially learned mm-hmm. and they're both amazing don't get me wrong because yeah. touch if you have a skilled practitioner who knows how to touch you and they have awareness of course it's amazing so I'm not mm. in any way sort of putting anything down that other people are doing but mm. it's just a completely different just you know it's like the difference of a relaxation treatment to a therapeutic treatment that you would go to because you have an injury or anxiety or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. issues or something like that you know yeah different context different goals totally different yeah I often say to people it might be like learning yoga but without learning about breath <laughs> I see yeah. you know I teach a lot of yoga teachers if you're learning yoga but you're not learning how to breathe it's only ever going to take you so far, isn't it? You're going to yeah. move your body and that will be that. What do you think? I know, I agree with that, totally. And I'm thinking also that, to be honest with you, I've always thought that um, a training uh, in a yoga teacher training course would be missing out on not having a physical touch element, such as learning Thai massage skills or develop Thai massage skills. And the reason I say that is because I've started my own journey first as a massage therapist. And by the time I trained as a teacher, as a yoga teacher, my ability to touch people was extremely useful because then I could pay more attention to what was really scary at the time, which is the same for all of us. Public speaking, verbally cueing people through shapes and motions, um, having to deal with the fear of injuries and not making things worse and everything else and also being comfortable with touching and being touched by another human being and i found that something like time massage alongside a yoga teacher training course is is one of the best combination such a good combination Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting to me how 
how scared people are of touching other people. Um, yeah. I, I mean, in a way, that's got a lovely side to it because people don't want to obviously cause harm. <laughs> so they, they're, they're scared because they don't want to hurt someone, but also how potentially we have lost this, almost this innate, because it's within us all. Everyone totally. can touch people in a therapeutic and healing mm-hmm. way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting to somehow reactivate that in people's nervous systems and, and 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 what I see happen when people learn to touch each other in a therapeutic way is just this confidence you know when you can move someone's body I think it's such an interesting thing to me because you know as I say I teach a lot of yoga teachers and they're used to doing all the movements themselves and mm-hmm. so there's something very interesting in that learning experience of letting someone else move your body and I, I often think, when was the last time we actually had our body moved by mm-hmm. someone else in a really skillful way? Was it when we were babies and we were being rocked in mm-hmm. someone's arm? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of just really, uh, really interests me what happens when people touch each other. Totally. It's, you know, Within the context of teaching yoga, there is also this aspect of learning to receive, which you just mentioned, learning to receive touch learning to receive physical adjustments, corrections, assist. That is a massive part of learning a method or something like tap massage. In my case, it was a sports massage. That was the ability to just be able to listen with my skin, with my body, but also listen with my hands. So not only to give, but also receive, and not only to receive, but also give. And this is an ability that I think makes a world of a difference for a someone who's a somatic practitioner and guides people through space, but also through their, their own inner space. Such an interesting skill to have and, and so powerful. And, you know, when yoga teachers do training where they do learn to have that confidence to put their hands on someone, the way that they can help their students or clients or whoever it is they're working with, it's just... Mm. It, goes to another level doesn't it and it does. and having that whole body kind of antenna turned on so that you are like you've got this really heightened awareness to that other person also gives you this heightened awareness interoceptively to your own inner kind of experience as well so it becomes this really fluid mm. beautiful kind of flowing experience I think between two people totally um, yeah. which again it, it just builds such an incredible relationship with the people you end up being in contact with you know um and i think if you're good at you know if you have those kind of levels of skill as a yoga teacher or a practitioner you build a relationship with someone that could be you could be in that relationship for 20 oh, years yeah. you know yeah, totally yeah. it's so special and it's so unique as well it is because it's not just then about the body it is also about the nervous systems connecting and to an extent in the soul, you know, um, yeah. recognizing each other on a, on, a, on a much deeper level than just um, someone that's in, that's sharing the space with you. That's just in front of you, showing you a few, a few um, shapes and guiding you through various um, breath patterns that you can work with. Um, there is something else to touch that um, I think time massage provides beautifully. Something's really interesting about the way that I teach through um, through the Thai medicine lens as well, which I really I connect to really deeply is the layers of the body, like textural layers of the body. But um, I find that really interesting as well because you know um, things like sports massage. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but mm. from what I know, it can be really deep, really quick, and almost like you've got to bite on a rag because it's so painful at times. It can and be, then yeah. you have other yeah. types of <laughs> types of treatment that are just so they're so light they almost don't hit the spot either. And mm-hmm. and so to me, the interesting thing is actually t- part of Thai anatomy is working through the physical layers of the body. Mm-hmm. So that the body allows you in, you don't force your way into that person's space or home mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You kind of knock at the front door really politely and you're you're let in. And again, that brings this level of connection but also skill into the process because you have to be really present to feel yeah. how much that person's body is letting you in and you know, letting go of the ego so that you're not 
pushing your way in when someone's not ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also being able to sink in to meet them where they're at. I find that really interesting. And, you know, that's that's really ancient wisdom, this layers of the body. And then, funnily enough, when I go into a dissection with Gil or or whoever we, we dissect through the layers of the body. So that for me, that's really so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I went off on a tangent then. Not at all. No, no. But you mentioned dissection and Gil, which I assume you're referring to Gil Headley, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of his DVDs, but I've never, I've never met him himself. Can yeah. you speak to Thai medicine and the system that I assume it is? So Thai medicine is, it has similarities to Chinese theory, the Chinese meridian theory or Ayurveda, but also has huge differences which is why Thai massage, when it's given through the lens of Thai medicine, is the most effective way to give it because you're not kind of mixing theories. And so whilst it has similarities, it has a lot of differences. Primarily, it's Buddhist medicine. And there's various things like Thai anatomy, which talks about all kinds of things like the layers of the body and the five elements. So we, we have five elements that we work with in um, Thai medicine. Mm-hmm. So earth, water, fire, wind, and space. And then there's also consciousness, which sometimes gets lumped in with space and sometimes doesn't. And there's, there's, there's many, many aspects to the medical system. It's like a huge umbrella of knowledge you have spirit medicine you have like internal herbal nutritional medicine you have divinatory sciences i see wow have the physical therapy route of the of the medicine and you have buddhism as well which is it's like the mental health route of the medicine okay and so practitioners generally have to have an understanding of all of those routes because they they interweave they intertwine you sure. can't separate them out you mm-hmm. know so i'm a i'm a thai massage practitioner but i use a lot of herbs so i'm using the herbal route i'm a thai massage practitioner but i do some spirit medicine techniques so i'm using the spirit medicine route within my physical therapy practice do you see what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah it's massive i mean i'm a student of it myself even though i'm a teacher i I will study this stuff for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. I should imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm down the rabbit hole, but I need, there's a lot further I can go. <laughs> it sounds, sounds amazingly interesting. It is. It's, it's, really, it's really wonderful because I think, I think massage practitioners often don't realise that, that the intellectual stimulation and learning the theory is one of the things that will expand their practices hugely. It's not just always like then another skill, another hands-on technique. It's understanding the depth of things that gives you depth as a practitioner as well. Well, You have a 300 hour specialist training that includes pretty much everything we've talked about so far, but also um, some of the airborne compression. Is there some time editing in that course as well that you yeah, um, there is. I teach how to make balms and medicinal balms and liniments that my okay. students use, rub on people. So that's bringing again the herbal medicine into we took into the practice. Um, I teach a bit about the Buddhist root. I teach a little bit about all of the roots, mm-hmm. but only within the scope of what I know. Which, as I say, I'm still thirty years in, still studying this stuff, but you can't really learn the massage uh, in from a therapeutic viewpoint without learning the theory, the Thai medical theory. Beautiful. How long is your first uh, Thai massage course, like the foundation one and two? Yeah. So they're eight days for the four days each. Mm -hmm. Um, And after COVID-19 happened, I obviously took everything online. So there's an online component and then in-person component. Yeah. Um, the three hour, three hundred hour training is really for the practitioners who really want to go deep and dedicate their, you know, a year of their lives to coming into the rabbit hole with me. <laughs> um, and so it, that really is like an application process because it's not for everyone. Some people don't want to get really deep into the theory or learn how to massage the viscera or 
do spinal nerve treatments or work with you know i teach how to work with scarves for example in that training um so it's it's really it's really meant to be very kind of expansive and mm-hmm. whilst i like to think of it as being complete i'm pretty sure that in a year or two's time there'll be a 500 hour <laughs> Yeah, you're going to keep on adding stuff to that, I'm sure. And what's the format for this uh, 300-hour specialist training? Is it once a month, one weekend? One? I put on my different modules and then we structure a package around what the, the main interests of that particular individual practitioner are going to I be. Okay. So, you know, for some people, they really want to do the pregnancy and postpartum training. But for some people, they're much more interested in things like fire cupping. For someone else, they really want to learn how to work with all the esoteric practices because maybe they work with people who've had strokes or have fibromyalgia or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and people have kind of set different sensitivities, I suppose, as well, you know. I teach a lot of sports massage therapists, funny enough, who so, are knackering their bodies with the really hard work kind of techniques, but are really passionate about helping people. And part of what I love doing is helping people work in a way that doesn't mean you're struggling or straining your own body. And so the sports massage therapists often, you know, they're quite fiery and they want to get in there deep quick. So they're not so interested in the esoteric practices, which are really gentle a bit like craniosacral therapy or something you know so mm-hmm. i instructed the packages of 300 hour around what is right for that individual practitioner and where they sort of feel like their practice is and mm-hmm. you know the areas that they most want to be able to help people I hear you. and i assume over the course of a year someone can not only change their mind but also grow to the point where what they started with as an idea of their course is going to change to something perhaps a bit more subtle or versa. I think so. Yeah. And I think also, you know, understanding fascia, for example, Yeah. we know that fascia doesn't always respond well to a really deep touch, you know? And so if you think how highly innovated fascia is, how many nerves there are in fascia, sometimes a very gentle touch technique is going to be the thing that's most powerful and deep for that person, mm-hmm. actually stimulating their central nervous system, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all really interesting. And the thing I love most about time medicine, and I'm so grateful that I came across the teachers that I have and everything is there's so much healing work you can do, whether you're working on a 95 year old person who's had a stroke or a teenager who's suffering with anxiety there's there's such a wide range of ways you can help you know it's not just all it's definitely not pressing and thumbing and stretching yeah the capacity of this of this work is is immense mm, it yeah. really is and it's so unknown um time medicine is really not very well known yet so i think when people do the training they definitely have something quite unique that they can mm. bring to healing space, which you know, we need more of that now, don't we? Um, we do. There's a lot of people need healing on a pretty deep level at the moment, especially sure. there's a lot of trauma and fear and sure. pain. Is there a lot of um, options here in the UK to train in, in Thai medicine? Well, as far as I know, I'm the only UK teacher at, at the moment. Yeah. I am developing a teacher training program for end of 2021 because i want there to be more teachers that teach this lineage Mm. so i will train some of the students that have done a lot of training with me will come on to the teacher training program i think it you know for me i'm so passionate about getting this level of healing out there into the world (laughs) It, it kind of really lights me up so the more that i can help there be incredible teachers the more the more hearts are being healed, basically, a lot more about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful mission you're on. Yeah. Already, uh, yeah. It's a big one. Um, it's a big one, but it's good. I mean, you know, you might as well go for something big. Yeah, exactly. And I think also, you know, the, the, the journey of healing I've had, and I think most healers have some healing they have to do of themselves. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure i mean is it the same for you as a yoga teacher and well i mean to start with a lot of us start our yoga journey because of injuries 
that was my case and I'm pretty sure it's the case for the vast majority of teachers or you know yoga practitioners within really some of us find the practice you know whilst being peaceful and most of us find it whilst being somewhat at war with something in my case it was definitely injuries that put me onto that path so I started with pilates through the recommendation of of the chiropractor I was seeing twice a week at the time and eventually found myself you know in that room in Kingston practicing with women who were between the age of 50 and 70 and I was 20 I was 20 something at the time so <laughs> the only man and the only one above and sorry the only one under the age of 45 or 50 or something like that so that's how it started for me And yeah, I've been to deal with that. But I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm now training as a psychotherapist and everything that's got to do with working with others start first and foremost with learning to work with yourself. 100%. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and whether it's injuries and whether it's positive or negative and whether it's something to fix or to amend or to forget or to transcend, It's always going to start there with you. And I think that, you know, yeah, as, as we're both trainers. And this is, I'm sure, the first thing that you say to your, to your trainees is the first thing that I say to my students as well. Your self-practice, your level of self-awareness, your kinetic intelligence and the growth of it. It's what's going to make you the practitioner and the teacher that you want to become. Did you develop your particular style of yoga because that what that's kind of what felt good to your to your back issue because I know a lot of people get do get injured through yoga because mm. they aren't listening to their bodies or trying to keep up in class or whatever it is but mm -hmm. I mean I didn't I don't think I knew that you had a back issue and that's what got you into yoga and I'm, I'm wondering whether because you when I've watched you do yoga as I said to you before that you know it's like watching a contemporary dancer but there's so much fluidity in your in your movement which to me is that's such a healthy way to move mm -hmm. whereas moving in and out of I don't know a, a usual kind of um, yoga practice causes me a lot of problems but I'm really drawn to your yoga because of the fluid movement mm. um, yeah thanks for asking um My first answer to, to the question as to why I, I created the style that I've created is because I am a fan of this, you know, age-old saying, write the book that you want to read. And I wanted a practice that was such as, you know, space and flow. And I've came close to being offered that with people like Jonathan Monks and Yoga Monks and And a couple of other people also, but I just, I just needed to create something that... I would have loved to be taught. And also, you mentioned contemporary dance. I've always wanted to be a dancer. I don't have any background in, in I contemporary dance. I can't believe dance. you're not. You just so look like a contemporary dancer. When no, I'm my background is in martial arts. But I've always wanted to be a choreographer and to be on stage and to dance. And I think by the time my back issues started to be under control, self-expression, um, artistic abilities were you know, part of my part of the lens that I was using in order to create sequences, in order to express myself through my yoga practice. And um, a few years ago, I started to really make a massive distinction between postures and movement. So my practice in space and flow, my school is movement-based as opposed to posture-based. It is mm -hmm. um, initiation of movement-based as opposed to breath initiation-based. And it may not sound like much, But it's a massive, massive distinction yeah. because it invites different ways to move through space. It differs. And with that, it invites different relationship that you have with space and as such with yourself. And that is what I'm trying to convey and cultivate in what I teach. Mm. It's really inspiring. And I look forward to the book coming out, Rafan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> you, you reminded me of Joanne once again. I've written like two or three pages of it. Uh, it's taken me six years. So let's see how long it takes me I to really, work. I really know that feeling because it's <laughs> taken me eight years to write. Eight, I think it's eight years it's taken me to write the book that, that I've written as well. I think it is just a really long, it's a long process. It's a labor of love. 
Yeah. And you, you never stop learning. So you never quite know when the book is done because you're still always learning something else and something else. And then that inspires you and you want to write about it in the book. And then you think, is this book ever going to get finished? <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, I mean, it's a beautiful segue. That was my going to be my next question to you because oh. I, I know that um, you're going to have a book published very, very soon. But in terms yeah. of the process itself, and we can definitely talk about that, it's the... Uh, the writing of something makes one thing, at least it makes me think that I've got to have whatever I'm writing about figured out. And as much as I am very much a process orientated type of person, and I know better than to think that my first draft is going to be my final draft, there's still something that goes, well, wait, wait, there's a bit of more research to be done first and foremost. Um, so yeah. But look, I am going to follow your lead and, and start writing a lot more. Well, yeah, it's um, it's I, I absolutely love writing now, and I think, funnily enough, this book has almost taught me how to write mm. you know, because I, I have I did have it as one of the things that I knew I wanted to do in my life, and hopefully, it won't be the last book. I've definitely got ideas for other books already starting now, but nice. make sure this one is out there first. <laughs> But it is, yeah, it's a real process and um, it's not an easy one. It's It's been like a practice, actually, I would say. Writing a book is, is a practice. I guess it's like putting your mat out and showing up, keeping your mind on what it is that you want to bring to the world. And, and having, yeah, it's been, to be honest, hell at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You've learned a lot about yourself, I'm sure. Learned a lot about myself. And also I think it really, you have to just at some point think, this is what I think. Some people will like it and some people won't. And that's okay, you know. And that was quite a hard thing for me to learn because of my upbringing. And, you know, I don't know if it's a female thing, but taught to be people pleasers and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff maybe come and, you know, it's the mindset around actually trusting your thoughts and thinking that they're valid and thinking that someone else will find them helpful is, you know, it's been a very interesting journey just on, mm. even just on that. You know? mm. Beautiful. Are you self-publishing or you're working with the company? No, I'm being published by Handspring Publishing, oh, which I'm very excited about because mm. they've written, they published a lot of books that I really you know I have on my shelf and that I really like in fact Joanne Avison is published by Handspring as well so yeah that's that was that was a real proud moment I'd say when they said yes to my book nice do you have a date (laughs) that you can give us or we're definitely working towards it being the end of the year hopefully it's all moving quite quickly at the moment it's in the design phase and it's we're looking at front covers and things like that. It seems to be moving really quickly, which is really exciting. I'd like it to be this year. Mm-hmm. I really would. You know, so it's, it's been a strong year, hasn't it? So yeah, you can say that again. Yes, it's been an interesting one, right? How did you manage to not only survive but thrive through this period of time, where obviously your work, not only as a trainer but also as a practitioner, is very much about touching others. And all of a sudden, that has been taken away from you. Have you? What changes have you made? I was actually already teaching a couple of my classes online because I teach massage practitioners and yoga teachers how to actually have a successful business. So I've been doing that for a little while through an online course. Um, so I kind of was already quite comfortable with being in front of you know the camera and mm. stuff. So I just, luckily, I'm really creative. So I just looked at what I was teaching and I just thought about how I could teach a lot of the theory in class and had my daughter living here. So I was like, okay, perfect. I've got someone that I can do, have a demo body so I can actually demonstrate all the stuff that I want to teach. Mm -hmm. And I just got my, turned my living room into a studio and had cameras everywhere and (laughs) And just got really creative about it. And actually what has come from it is I've created an incredible resource for my students where they have all the videos. So they kind of have me in their living rooms. They can hit replay all the time and just be copying what I'm doing, which 
they've asked for for years and I've always been really strict no cameras in the classroom because I want you to be present I don't want you to be learning through a lens <laughs> all of that sort of stuff and then suddenly I've kind of created this video resource for them and it's it's been really great of course we miss that whole being in each other's company and being able to hug each other and sit in front of the altar and do a daily spiritual practice together and all those little things but um I've just got all the in-person stuff coming up so half of it's online half is it half of it is in person yeah I mean you just have to be creative don't you when you want to still serve people and I knew that after all of this lockdown stuff had sort of shifted I just felt so strongly that there were people going to need a lot of incredible healers And so, I mean, even when I talk about it now, I get goosebumps because I'm just so, I know how important it is to have incredible healers that can help other people out there at the moment. You know, whether that's, you must find it as well through getting people moving and, you know, the the powerful transformation that can have for someone's well-being is huge. And I think now more than ever. So I just feel that now is the time for anyone who is, feels the call to do this stuff to actually step up and and do it because if you have that calling you are needed i'm just so clear about that yeah i second that what is the uh, sacred health method it's my new offering um which i've been thinking about for probably the last eight years or so And suddenly over lockdown, I just was at home. So I was able to get really focused on what it was that I wanted to, that I felt that the world needed. And for me, what that was, was um, a training where the practitioners are taught how to fully look after themselves in a way that I think is, of course, really needed right now so that they can show up and do a much higher or deeper or more expansive level of healing. So what I've done really is bring together my 30 years of experience in, you know, obviously I've dipped my toes into lots of things and I'm trained in lots of things as well. So I wanted to bring all of that together and create quite a kind of radical paradigm shifting training program. So we got started with urine therapy the other day. (laughs) Nice. pretty out there um it's something that I trained in years and years ago um when I did my natural nutrition training and it's just another tool it's not going to be right for everyone but just sometimes it is a thing that you can pull out of the bag and think this is going to be really helpful for that person and it's a very ancient practice to use what your body doesn't need in one moment but actually still has a lot of like the vibration of you within it so it can be really healing in certain circumstances and so I thought I'd I'd just get started with that when we started our training but I teach Bowen technique on it as well which is another of my passions what is Bowen technique Bowen technique is very gentle we think it's fascial release (laughs) if I if there is such a thing as a release I don't even know if that's accurate but it just seems to stimulate the brain to switch off a pain response we're not 100% sure how it works but it is this really effective um, very gentle so it's very easy on the practitioner's body but you can have someone coming for a treatment in hardly able to get out of the, the car because they are in so much pain and 45 minutes later, they're moving their bodies again in a almost fluid, natural, relaxed way. It's just, it's a bizarre treatment, but it, it's very structural based. And it's one of the reasons I went into dissection lab was to try and understand what on earth is going on when you do this Bowen technique, because it's just, it's just every day, it just stimulates my kind of curiosity because I have no real idea of how it works. So I teach that on the sacred health method as well. There is another training which is going to be sacred health, like feminine training, which is going to be pregnancy and postpartum Mm -hmm. mainly because I feel like there's a lot of people doing incredible work with pregnant women, like hypnobirthers and doulas and things. But there's 
be great for them to have a way of continuing that relationship that they've built up with that that woman postpartum mm-hmm. um, yeah so i've got a little note right here that says spirit medicine spirit medicine it's making you smile so i know that uh, there is something interesting in that yeah so it's an incredible tool where you actually gently i'm going to say tap rather than hit because <laughs> it might look like hitting but it's really tapping you tap someone with a wood it a wooden mallet and a peg and it's actually like vibrational work really and and it seems to send like a deep vibrational impact through the the body often working on the central nervous system so around heavy sort of areas that are heavily innervated so down either side of the spine for example and i would silently repeat a mantra in my head a very healing mantra and predominantly it's spirit medicine because in in thai medicine there's a in fact in thai culture there's this very strong belief in spirits and that spirits can do a lot of harm and so a lot of practitioners in thailand would actually they would find out whether there's a spirit that's causing your pain or your problem that would be the first port of call and then they would you know decide on the treatment after that but there's a quite a, a number of spirit medicine tools to help your body get rid of spirits that are causing you problems now i'm not allowed to say that i do spirit medicine because of insurance like of course in the in the west that's like unheard of like what are you talking about spirits you mm-hmm. know <laughs> but it traditionally that is definitely a massive part of how people would work and so when i you know when i work i i might, I might just choose to use my spirit medicine tools to work on someone's central nervous system mm-hmm. uh, you're a musician so you understand the power of sound and the vibrational sound of this this wooden peg hitting the sorry the wooden mallet hitting the peg it's really soothing so people often just really go into a very deep state of relaxation and at the same time it's working on the nerves so of course if you're nervous or if you're you're in a highly sort of sympathetic nervous response state it's very very calming for the nervous system so yeah i love those tools <laughs> i love them so much <laughs> that's awesome yeah. wow <laughs> Yeah, they have other they have other spirit medicine practices as well like they have things like you can blow sacred words onto someone and you could you could actually blow sacred words onto an egg and use that as a spirit medicine technique. I've never learned that. I've never even seen a practitioner using that, but that's a very ancient spirit medicine practice. In fact, one of the things I'm really struggling with at the moment is usually on my courses at the end of part of our closing ceremony is that i blow sacred words onto my students wrists and i'm just trying to work out how i can do that at the moment with a mask and a visor and i see you know, it's and it's just interesting isn't it how do you how do you bring your traditional teaching practices into this modern world where we we have mm. a pandemic i don't know i'm still trying to work out how to do that Yeah. I guess I blow harder and I stay at one yeah. meter's distance. Basically. <laughs> I I'm laughing because I'm thinking about a picture I saw of a priest in a church using a water gun to spray and to uh, assume bless babies from you know one meter or two meters away. But look, before I ask you a couple more questions, where can people find you? So I'm London Institute of Thai Yoga Massage is mm-hmm. my name of my school and I'm Thai Yoga Massage on Instagram I'm quite active on Instagram is probably my favorite favorite social media platform. Mm. Yeah so through those channels I guess yeah. Awesome. I'd like to ask a couple of personal questions to my guest. You moved down to Brighton do you swim often? Do you go down to the sea? the beach i do, I do try and get in the sea as often as i can um mm. but funnily enough this year probably because i've been teaching from home so much i haven't been in as much as i was last year or the year before generally i go in around about from um i've been in in january but i generally start going in the sea in april through to 
probably October, November. We have an amazing sauna on the beach down here. So go into the sauna and then go into the sea. That that makes it a bit easier. Lucky you. Yeah. But one of the reasons I moved to Brighton was to be near the sea because my daughter had some um, health issues and we ended up it being in hospital for six days. This is a few years ago now. Mm. And I just had this really strong urge. I just like had to get her in the sea. Yeah. And I knew if I got her in the sea that it would start a healing process for her. And so I was just really drawn to the, to the sea. And then obviously now Wim Hof does all these amazing things about cold water and all the you know negative ions and things and all the incredible stuff that's in the seawater so I think there's something very healing about being near the that that beautiful body of water every day you know yeah I hear you. let me ask you those personal questions what's your favorite word word I like the word expansion hmm. at the moment I really like the word expansion. I was, if I'm really honest with you, <laughs> the word that really came to my head, first of all, was fuck, because that is such a great word. Yes, you know? I love it too. And, and it has that impact, and it can be used in a beautiful, um, like, it can be used in a beautiful way and an angry way and it can be used in a really insignificant way. So I feel like it has so many dimensions to it. So if I'm really honest with you, I like the word expansion, but fuck does it for me. Better. <laughs> I love that. So do I. It's one of my favorite English words. Totally. Completely. I like the linguistics of it are just uh, amazing because as you said, it can, it can be added to pretty much any and everything. And I love this versatility, this mobility. And I love the fact that it triggers different things in people as well. Yeah, me too. Me too. In fact, I read a brilliant article about that once. I'm going to try and send it to you, Raphael. Now, now that we have similar love for that word, I'll send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so my follow-up question is, what's your favorite job? Mothering. Mothering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mothering, I mean, is just a chance. And I don't, I probably don't just mean mothering my daughter. I mean, mm -hmm. mothering my students in ways, you know, I feel, I feel that as a teacher, you are a parent, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in fact, through the lineage that I teach under um, or with very much teachers are, sorry, parents are honored for the, for the fact that they gave you life but also as a teacher you are you embody aspects of being a parent because you sometimes have to be really brutally honest or kindly honest or encouraging or supportive or just there for someone I see mm -hmm. and so yeah i'd say mothering nice thank you what's your favorite skill my favorite skill communication and learning about communication It's, that's a journey, isn't it? Being a skilled communicator is such a, such a wonderful journey to be on, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. As a and teacher, you... it's, it's ne one you're never going to not need. Sure. And you learn so much about yourself doing so. Yeah. Can you tell us something you, you know for sure? Something I know for sure. I have so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. in this lifetime mm -hmm. yeah and conversely something you're not sure about at all um i'm not sure there will ever come a time where i don't get fulfillment from being around other amazing human beings <laughs> that's pretty sweet <laughs> yeah and last but not least i'm always curious as to what people think People who know them think of them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna contextualize this one. What is something that you surprisingly don't know anything about? And here I put the emphasis on surprisingly. For people who know you, for your students, what would be surprising to hear you saying you actually know nothing about? And it's a bit of a left field question. I'm asking you if you know what you don't know. Mm. But you get what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I do. Relational aspect. Really like that question a lot. Because we're always all about what we do know, not what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what would they? <laughs> well, what comes to my mind is <laughs> I actually can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, I'm going to say male genitalia. <laughs> okay. And the reason I say that, I think, is because I've done a lot of human dissection, as I think I mentioned, but I, I haven't dissected male genitalia. And so I feel like there's a lot more I need to learn about that area of the body, of anatomy. I see. And, wow, I mean, that may well come into my personal life. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So people who know you would be surprised to hear that. I see. I think okay. they probably would. <laughs> Because I know, you know, I'm pretty kind of, I feel like I'm quite knowledgeable about the body to a certain extent. Yeah. But I'd say that's an area I'm not, you know, it's not a part of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a strange thing to say? Not at all. Anything strange, most of the time, is actually one of the most natural things to, to say and to share. So, no, I'm, I'm grateful you, you went there. That's great. <laughs> going to give me something to think about mm, was that mm. the answer? <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be sending you not pics but i'm gonna be sending you articles and <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i know that gil, gil headley talks a lot about i mean how we're going into male genitalia now is that a mm-hmm. good thing on teaching sure sure it's, it's a up, up, but podcast, yeah. i know that one of the things that my dissection teacher gil is really really very strong about is circumcision you know, because, and he very publicly talks about this, so I'm not sharing anything that I shouldn't be sharing. Just the the level of sort of what that does, like how the body has this, the body doesn't have anything for no reason. Mm -hmm. And yet we're taking boys' foreskin away and Mm -hmm. thinking it makes it cleaner and stuff, but actually what it does is causes a lot of harm and damage. So I don't know why I'm saying that even now. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that, and I'm curious about it. I'll, I am myself circumcised, and so are my sons and my brothers. I'll be interested to hear Gil talk about it from that point. Yeah, of yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah I, I need to learn more. As I've just said, it's not an area I know enough about. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of, uh, of thoughts and advices, but I will I will keep that for another time. Yeah, another time. <laughs> 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 beautiful look natasha it's been such a pleasure talking to you i wish you the best not only on on your courses that you offer but also on the book that's going to be coming out very very soon it's lovely thank you so much for having me on it's been great chatting to you i've enjoyed it a lot so thank you i hope you have learned something here and that you get to teach it go to rafan.co.uk to subscribe to my newsletter And remember that when one teaches, two learn. So do teach and learn as much as you can.